I want to launch into a new series uh, that I have titled Kingdom Principles. And uh, by definition, a principle is a guiding uh, belief or a law that, in this case, governs the kingdom of God. Uh, we're going to look at what are those principles, what are those guiding uh, principles, those, those spiritual laws that govern the kingdom of God and therefore governs you and I. And to do that, uh, our study is going to bring us into the gospel of Matthew because Matthew's gospel focuses on Jesus Christ being the king, the Messiah, as we're going to see. In fact, if you have your Bible, please turn to it to the first chapter, Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be reading the first 17 verses, verses that sometimes we often just skim over because it involves the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nahshon. Nahshon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa, and Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. And Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Sheatal. Boy, these wonderful names, aren't they? Sheatal was the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azar. Azar was the father of Zoduk. Zoduk was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Elud. Elud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above 
include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and as we prepare to, to look into your word now, we want to learn what these kingdom principles are all about and how they apply to our life, oh God. So right now, Holy Spirit, help me as I communicate the thoughts that you placed in my heart. Help me, as always, to communicate them so clearly so that all of us can understand not only their meaning, but their application to our life, Father. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so now, as we've just read, Matthew's gospel focuses on Jesus being Messiah. And the word Messiah, for those of you who may not uh, uh, be aware of, it means the, the Christ or the anointed one, the king. Messiah is the king who would establish the kingdom of God on earth. The Jewish nation, remember at this time, were uh, under the Roman uh, rule and Roman oppression, and they were very much waiting for Messiah. They were waiting for their king who would come and, 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 and in their mind, free them from the uh, Roman oppression and from the Roman rule and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Uh, and so, Matthew now begins by affirming uh, Jesus' kingship in that he lists now the genealogy of the Lord, which backtraces him all the way to Abraham, uh, indicating that Jesus was of royal blood, if you will. He came through the loins of Abraham, and he came through the loins of David, and why that's why he is also called the son of David, which was another messianic title that, would be, uh, that was given. Uh, now, as we read these names, I hope that you picked up that Matthew now, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because we have to remember that God's word was written by men, but men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, men who received from God the revelation as to what they were supposed to write. And Matthew now, inspired by the Holy Spirit, lists five women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, that was a violation of Jewish tradition because women were never listed in the genealogy. Uh, only the men were listed in the genealogy. Uh, and so here we find that Matthew lists not only five women, but with the exception of Mary, the other four women had less than stellar backgrounds, if you will. Tamar is the first woman that's listed. Now, Tamar, you'd have to read in chapter 36, she was married to uh, one of the sons of Judah, but then he died, and then the next son uh, took her as a wife to bring children into the world under that son's name, but he also died. And Judah ultimately did not want uh, to give another son to Tamar lest he also died. And so 
Tamar developed this strategy because she saw that she was being overlooked by her father-in-law, Judah. And so she dressed as a prostitute and she went into the market and Judah was passing by and Judah now decided to have a relationship, if you know what I'm talking about, with, with this woman, this woman that he thought was a prostitute. And only to later on discover that that woman was Tamar herself. So she poses, she posed as a prostitute in order to deceive, to trick her father-in-law into having intercourse with her. And out of that intercourse came her son, who was part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then we have Rahab. Now, Rahab in our Bible, she was also a prostitute. She was actually a Gentile prostitute. And uh, she was, lived in Jericho. And you remember when, the, when Moses sent in the spies, excuse me, when Joshua sent in the spies uh, into Jericho, she was the one that hid the spies and then sent them on their way. Uh, and she was the one that put a red cord out of her window that uh, let the people of Israel know, hey, these people within this home, within this place, they are covered uh, by the promise that was given to Rahab that we will spare your family if they stayed inside. And she did that. And although she had this, uh, she was a, a Gentile and a prostitute, when the children of Israel took over Jericho, she was spared, her and her family, and ultimately became part of the nation of Israel. And she too is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And of course, we have Bathsheba. And most of us know the story of Bathsheba. She committed adultery with King David and gave a birth to a son, Solomon. Four women who have less than perfect, shall we say, uh, backgrounds, are all listed by Matthew as in, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ that affirms that he is Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that he is the king of the Jews that would establish the kingdom of God on the earth. So the question before us today that we need to look at, a couple of questions, is why? Are these four women, especially, uh, that with questionable backgrounds, some that were not even part of the nation of Israel initially, uh, like Rahab, and, uh, and, and we have also, uh, by the way, I didn't mention Ruth uh, in there as well, who was a, a Moabite. Uh, Ruth, who uh, was, again, a Gentile, and the Moabites were a people that were... A, Let's, let's put it in. They weren't liked by the nation of Israel. They were constant enemies. And the whole Moabite, the Moabite nation was birthed out of incense. So in, in this situation, out of incest, incest with a T, excuse me. And so now we've got all of these women with questionable backgrounds. The question for us today is why are they listed among the genealogy of Jesus Christ? And what does that have to do with you and I today? Is there a kingdom principle in this portion of scripture that we can structure our life around? For the benefit of those who 
were not with us on this past Wednesday night in our prayer meeting. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't, to check out the video on that. Our focus was staying on mission. We were talking about how it's so critical, especially in this hour that we are living in, in the midst of this pandemic, with so many issues going on, as well as political and, and social and economic, all of this unrest that's going on in our nation. It's so easy for you and I to become introverted, if you will, to begin to begin to focus more on our own life and our own needs and our own situation and, and wind up off mission. We talked Wednesday about the, that the mission of the church is to reach the lost, right? To, to, the Great Commission is about making disciples of all nations, and we are supposed to be telling people about Jesus Christ. But in this environment that we find ourselves in today, it's so easy to get distracted, to get off mission and really focus more on ourselves. So we talked and we prayed Sunday, uh, Wednesday, excuse me, about God helping us about staying on mission. And I, as I meditated on that and thought about this uh, new series, I realized that one of the reasons why we often fail to stay on mission is also because we have an unhealthy self-image. And let me explain what I'm talking about. We see all our imperfections in our character. Uh, we, we see all the faults that we have. And as a result of that, we feel unworthy or hypocritical if we wind up telling somebody about Jesus Christ. In other words, I really can't talk to anybody about Jesus because I know I'm not living right. I know I'm not perfect. I know I have all of these faults and all these things that are going on in my life. So I don't want to come across and feel like a hypocrite. So I just don't say anything at all. So this morning... I want to talk to you and lay out two, two truths, two kingdom principles, if you will, that are going to help us all. Number one, in and of ourselves, we will never be worthy to share the gospel of Christ. Listen, if you're going to wait until you are in that place where, well, now I feel that now I'm good enough. Now I'm living righteous enough to share the gospel. If you are waiting for that moment to come, you'll never share the gospel. You'll never stay on mission because there's always going to be something in your life and in my life, some imperfection, some fault that, that there, that's there that God is working through and that God's grace covers. So it's important in this kingdom principle that we recognize we cannot wait. The nations are waiting to hear the gospel. In this time that we are living in, people are desperate to hear something that's going to encourage them, something that's going to give them hope. We have the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in and of ourselves, we will never be worthy enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second kingdom principle. Listen now, because this is the one that uh, my, this message is centered all around. God uses 
imperfect people to communicate his perfect message. Let me say that one more time. God uses imperfect people to communicate his perfect message. Let me give you a few biblical examples. Moses, right? Moses, the great man of God, the man that saw God face to face, the man that God selected to deliver his people from the bondage of Egypt. Moses was imperfect in so many ways. Number one, he was a murderer. He had this temper that would get out of control. And one day it got so out of control, he wound up killing somebody. Then he buried him to make sure that, uh, that nobody would find out. He also was a stutterer. He was imperfect in speech. And yet God chose him. Let's look at in the lineage of Christ, we have David. A man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says about David. David, who penned so many of the Psalms that you and I enjoy so wonderful, that they're so great. This man, David, who did incredible, phenomenal things, a spokesman for God. Yet David was an adulterer and a murderer. The Gospel of Matthew well, Matthew was a tax collector by trade until he met Jesus Christ. And for those of you, again, who are not quite familiar with your Bible, if you became a tax collector, if you were a Jew, let me back up first. If you were Jewish in birth and you became a tax collector, you were now considered a traitor by the nation of Israel. And you were ostracized. You were not allowed to be part of the synagogue. You were not allowed to associate. Everybody uh, stayed away from you. And the only friends you could have are other sinners, other tax collectors, and other that, that low lives. Because in the nation of Israel, to collect taxes for Rome, you were considered a traitor. And yet God picked this traitor not only to be a messenger of the gospel, but to actually write one of the gospels. And of course, most of our New Testament was written by a man named Paul. And the Paul, before he received Christ as his savior, was the great persecutor of the church who put so many families into prison, going around trying to destroy the church. You see, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise and those who choose and, and excuse me and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful god chose things despised by the by the world things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important as a result no one can ever boast in the presence of God. See, 
God uses imperfect people to communicate his perfect message. Here's what you and I need to be effective now communicators of the gospel. In other words, I, I, I'm laying that foundation now that God uses imperfect people to communicate a perfect message. The perfect message is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God loved the world so much that he died. He sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary for their sins so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our relationship with God can be restored. That's the good news, the message of the gospel. And our mission given to us by God for every believer is to tell people about this wonderful God and his Savior, whose name is Jesus Christ. Now, because God intentionally chooses imperfection to communicate perfection, there is some things that we need to recognize here this morning that will help us be more effective in our messaging. Number one, I'm going to talk about two things about on our part now, on how we can be better or more effective communicators of the gospel, the good news. Number one in our part is a willing heart. A willing heart. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Listen to me now. We receive the holy mandate from God that we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. But now, in order to be effective, it begins with your heart. Your there needs to be that desire to be used by God. And listen, let's be truthful this morning. We can get so caught up in ourselves. We can become so uh, uh, internalized and introverted in that the focus of our life centers all around us that we can uh, look at and not can care about what's going on in the world around us. We cannot care about the people who are, are lost without Christ. And so... If we want to be effective communicators, we have to have a heart for the lost. And be willing to say, God, use me today, some way, somehow. Send me to share this good news. On our part, number one, we need a willing heart. Secondly, on our part, we need opened eyes. John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, tells them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What is God telling his disciples? You have to open your eyes. All around you, there are people who are ready to receive the good news. All around you, there are people who are hurting. All around you, there are people who are empty. All around you, there are people who are lost. People who are waiting for someone to give them the message of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it true? I mean, we can live our life and never see the needs that are around us. You can live your life and not even see the needs right in your own home. Yeah, I know you, you, your father is a good man, 
but is he saved? And all of a sudden now, you may not even see the condition of his soul because you are deceived into thinking, well, he's, he, he doesn't beat up on mom and he, he works hard and he's a good man, so he's okay. No, he's not okay. You need to open up your eyes. You need to open up your eyes and see what's going on with the world around you, your neighbors, your coworkers. There are people all around us that are ripe the harvest is ripe. In other words, Jesus is saying, man, they're right there in front of you, but you're not even seeing them. So for our part, brothers and sisters, if we want to be more effective in our communication, it begins with our heart. We have to have a willing heart. And we have to have eyes that see. We have to have opened eyes so that we can see who's around us and see the, their need. See the person for what their, their need is, not what's going on physically. See their soul. And when we do that, there's two things on God's part. See our part? We have to have that willingness, the willing heart, and we have to have opened eyes. On God's part, two things. Number one is the impartation of power. We read this Wednesday night, but it's so important. Let's read it again. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Listen, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, here, the impartation of power. That's God's part. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is a simple gospel in the sense that we know what to say. It's not that we don't know what to say. It's we need the power to say it. You can talk to somebody and tell them, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you and he died for your sin and all that is true and, and their hearts may be unmoved. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when there is an anointing from heaven above, that's what it means, the anointing means. There is a holy power that comes upon you. It's important that you and I recognize it's not about our eloquence. It's not about how many verses we can quote. It's not about any of those things. It's about the power of God coming upon us. The purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the impartation of God's power is so that when we speak, hearts will be moved. When we share the gospel with people, something will transpire in their soul and they will know that they know this is the truth. This is what I need to hear. This is what I've been waiting to hear. Because the disciples waited for the power. The very first time they experienced this outpouring of God's spirit, this impartation of power, 3,000 people were saved. Listen to me, church. We live in such a time. Everybody has something to say. What we need to distinguish, what we say, is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Number two, on God's part, after the impartation of power, is the impartation of 
of boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God, say it with me, boldly, boldly. Boldness imparted by the Holy Spirit is what drives out the fear of failure and ridicule. Listen to me. Because again, by nature, the struggle that we have oftentimes is, I don't want to sound foolish. I don't want people to ridicule me what I'm saying. And, and, and I don't want people to reject me. Uh, nobody likes to be rejected. And so the important thing you got to recognize is it's not about you being rejected. People don't reject you. They reject your message. You're just the messenger. If they reject the message, that's on them, between them and God. But so often, you know, we, are, we hold back from sharing this good news because we're so afraid. We're full of fear. The devil has bound us. He has shut our mouth because we're afraid to be a failure. We're afraid to be ridiculed. And so God's response to that is you need power. You need more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will result in boldness. And now boldness isn't arrogance. Boldness is that ability that you recognize, I have something that God wants me to say, and I am going to say it regardless of its outcome. I can't hold it in anymore. I've got to say this thing because it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones, as the, as the Old Testament prophets said. It is something that I've got to communicate. And you are not concerned anymore with how you look. You're not concerned with how, what people are going to say, what people are going to think. All you're concerned about is there's a soul in front of me that God has told me, say this, and I'm going to say it for the glory of God. Holy boldness. When the early church was threatened and told they should not preach the gospel anymore, they came back and they prayed. And after they prayed, as we have just read, God's response to their prayer was to pour out the Spirit again. But this time, it would result in them communicating the gospel in a bold way way. Worship team, if you would come back up and help me out. We're talking this morning about this kingdom principle. I've titled this message, Imperfect People. A simple title, but I'm hoping that you, it will help you to remember that you can't wait until you think you're ready or you're good enough to share the gospel. If you wait for that, it'll never happen. You got to recognize that God's kingdom is governed, uh, is, is guided by God using imperfect people to communicate his perfect message. That is the guiding principle of the kingdom of God for you and I for today. That we are going to pray that as we do our part, God will do his. And it is my prayer that all of us would recognize we have got to stay on mission.
We have been called by God. God has poured out his spirit into our hearts and sealed us. We are his very own people. But the reason why we're still here on this earth is because we have a mission given to us by God. And that is to tell everyone about Jesus Christ. In order to do that, we need to have a willing heart. A willing God to say what you want me to say. I'm willing to go where you want me to go. God, I need to open up my eyes. I want to begin to see the people that are all around me. I want to see their lostness. I want to see the emptiness of their heart and how desperately they are to hear something that will bring them hope. And I am praying that as I do that, you will impart your power and your boldness for the glory of your name. 